Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind Healthy Life podcast the show dedicated for helping you cultivate inner well-being and create a more fulfilling life I'm your host Avik and today we have a truly inspiring guest with us Troy Love Hello there Hi hi Troy So Troy is a devoted advocate for self-love and spiritual growth a two-time Amazon best seller author and let me just tell you he's a tedx speaker so with a master degree in social work from the university of pittsburgh troy has dedicated his life to empowering individuals on their path towards greater peace joy and love so as an adjunct professor for arizona state university troy passes on his wisdom and experience to the next generation of students he is a passionate advocate for mental health and frequently volunteers his time hosting educational webinars and drop in groups offering support to individuals all around the world so throughout his 25 years in the mental health field he has developed a unique model of healing that has empowered thousands of individuals to navigate their most painful experiences without blame so his compassionate approach combined with a diverse range of therapeutic techniques such as emdr brain spotting and emotionally focused couple therapy has learned or i would rather say it's earned him recognition as an expert in additional recovery relationship repair and post trauma growth so troy's passion for teaching complex issues in a manageable way echoes the words of the beloved mr rogers that is what is mentionable is manageable he has authored three influential books on trauma recovery additional recovery and self love and continues to impact lives through his retreats and workshops helping individuals and couples find more joy love and peace so we are honored today to have troy on the show today to share his wisdom insights and practical strategies for cultivating self love healing from past trauma and creating a life filled with peace and fulfillment 
So, welcome, Troy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me today. Great, great. So, uh, listeners, I'll just say stay tuned because you won't want to miss the transformative conversation we are about to have with Troy. So, get ready to unlock the secrets to healthy mind and healthy life. So, Troy, like, um, I, I'm, I'm just kind of mesmerized. Like, what, what, what shall I ask? Because there are a lot of things to ask. And uh, from there, uh, I have just figured out a few things, uh, which I uh, found like it will be beneficial for the listeners and uh, for people who want to uh, change their life, who want to be happy, feel the joy. So from there, if you can help us share your personal journey with self-compassion and healing from post-trauma and mm. Also, like, how did you discover the importance of self-compassion in your own healing process? I was 19 years old. I had, I was, it was the first time that I had been away from my family and I was at a training program and somebody who was speaking said that if you wanted to really love other people you needed to learn how to love yourself and that made me angry i was so angry I, I remember being in the bathroom later and having an argument with myself and saying that is not true my whole life i had tried to be a compassionate person i had tried to be loving and kind to other people but i really hated myself I had been struggling with addiction. I had struggled with a lot of body shame. I had struggled with a lot of um, feelings of inadequacy about myself. And so I hated me, but I thought I was a really loving person to others. And here's this person telling me that if I wanted to be more effective in loving other people, I needed to learn how to love myself. And I, I fought that. I was not happy. And I, I asked myself, why, why do I have to love myself in order to love other people? And this impression, this feeling came to me that said, Troy, if you, you can love other people without loving yourself, but if you want them to love you back, you're going to have to be able to learn how to accept their love. And if you can't love you, then you're going to reject their love and their compassion and eventually they're going to stop trying to give it to you so you need to learn how to let it in and then it becomes this flow of love between me and other people and that really was the point where i realized i've got to start learning how to work on loving myself it took me a long time to figure that out but that was the beginning of that that journey for me was realizing that if I really wanted to feel other people's love, I needed to be able to love myself. So, I understand like how clearly you mentioned this so, because a lot of people think like this only and uh, exactly true what you mentioned. And so, so with this, like how would you also define self-compassion and uh, why is it crucial for individuals who have uh, experienced the trauma to cultivate the self-compassion. 
Well, one of the things that all of us really struggle with is shame. And shame is this feeling and perspective that I'm flawed and defective, and therefore I am unworthy of love and belonging. And what shame does is it blocks creativity. It blocks our ability to connect with our loved ones. It blocks our ability to grow. And so shame is really the enemy of self-compassion because it really just tries to continue to convince us that we are not enough, that that we're bad. And so we have to learn how to become resilient to shame. And part of that is learning how to tell the truth, which is that I am, even though I am flawed, even though I'm not perfect, I have things that are struggles for me. I'm still worthy of love, worthy of connection, worthy of belonging. And if I can learn how to do that for myself, it makes me less judgmental of others. It makes me less critical of other people. I'm able to be more accepting of them, which then creates an environment where creativity, healthy behaviors, all that thrives in a much more uh, better environment. Exactly. So like uh, with this, like uh, I'm also very curious to understand, like what are some uh, practical steps or maybe the strategies that um, individuals can take to develop the self-compassion in their daily lives? Mm. So a lot of times people will say things like, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And I, I, when they say that to me, I have them ask a question. I'm not worthy for what? I'm not good enough for what? And then have them fill in the blank. So I'm not worthy for a relationship. I'm not good enough for the job I want. I'm not good enough to be a dad, whatever. And so then I'll say, okay, so you're not good enough for what? They'll put it in and then I'll ask them, is that really true? How true is it on a scale of one to seven, seven being absolutely true, one being absolutely false? How true does that feel? And they'll give me a number. And sometimes it's a seven, but a lot of times it's a six or five. And I say, oh, great. We have some wiggle room then. We can start to get our foot in the door and start to put a gap between that. What's So what would make you... Feel more worthy as a as a in a relationship with a job, and then they'll they'll say that and say, okay. So, are there things you can do to make that happen? Um, can you give me some examples that prove that you are already doing that? And so, doing that just simple inquiry about the belief helps them start to recognize, wow. I really have been operating on this belief as if it were true. And I'm starting to realize it's not completely true. And I, and therefore um, it may actually be really false. Exactly. So like uh, so in your experience, like what are some common barriers or the roadblocks that people uh, face when trying to embrace self-compassion and uh, like, How can they overcome these obstacles? Well, so one of the things that I do in the work that I do is working with what I call attachment wounds. Uh, As humans, we're wired to be connected biologically, neurologically, socially, spiritually. We're wired to be connected. And oftentimes as we're growing up, 
things will happen that will create those wounds for us. We will feel abandoned. We will feel neglected. We will feel rejected. We'll feel abused. We will have been abused, those kind of things. And although those are painful, what, what's more painful is what we've come to believe about ourselves. So I'm, I have a rejection wound from being bullied a lot when I was a, when I was a teenager. And so the belief that I carried for a long time is that there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm not good enough. I, I have an abandonment wound. And so the core belief that goes with that is I, I'm not wanted. Nobody will really stay with me. Um, so those two beliefs really show up in my relationships with people. So it makes me want to to be careful in trying to reach out to people because there's a big fear that you're probably going to reject me. You're probably going to leave me, those kind of things. And so that then leads me to hold on to this shame that says, well, see, I'm, I'm not enough. And, and so then I isolate myself. I block myself off from being able to have connections with other people and recognizing that's what's going on. The root of all of it is fear. I'm afraid that I'm going to get hurt in some way. And so when I recognize that, I can say, okay, but what can I do to protect myself? What can I do to be true to myself and still be vulnerable enough to reach out and build connections with other people? And that's a journey of how we learn how to do that. But in doing so, when I believe, well, I'm worth that. I'm worth having relationships with others and you're worth having relationships with me. That love really, that desire for love really can can block the fear or overcome the fear. And I'm willing to then step into that that place of the unknown, even though it's scary. Yes. So, um, like, uh, I understand this, but can, can, you, can you also share any specific techniques uh, that have been particularly effective in helping individuals to cultivate uh, self-compassion and their inner peace? Mm-hmm. So, one of them is to write down the negative core belief on a piece of paper and just write it down. And one of the reasons why we do that is because we carry these around in our head all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And once I put it on a piece of paper, I now have some objectivity around it. So I can take a look at it and I can ask myself, well, is that really true? And there's now some distance. And so that's, that's really a, a simple but effective tool to do that. So then um, one of the things that I have people do sometimes is write the opposite on a piece of paper. So what is the opposite? Now I'm looking at both of those on this piece of paper. Which one, I look at them, which one serves me better? Which one helps me feel more joy? Which one helps me feel more light? Which one helps me want to be interactive with the people that I love? And I'll look at both of those. Which one makes it worse? Which one makes it harder? Which one do I want to hold on to today? Just today. What can I do today to remind myself myself of what I wrote on that other side? That I'm enough, that I matter. What's one small thing that I could do today to remind myself of that? And then we do that every day, practicing that every day. And over time, our brain begins to create a new neural network that starts to learn and accept that I am enough 
although my brain thinks I have all this evidence that proves otherwise, it's now culminating evidence that proves that it's true. Right. That's exactly like uh, that. That's why I mentioned like uh, there's a lot to learn today in this episode, and this will definitely gonna help people uh, in uh, differentiating these things and understanding clearly about because there are a lot of misconceptions uh, among people, and uh, like as you have mentioned with the examples, so it's it's very clear. So I'm really thankful to you for mentioning this uh, along, along along with this like. How does uh, self compassion uh, like intertwine with the process of uh, forgiveness, and uh, also like individuals? Uh, how can they foster this forgiveness towards themselves and also with the others? Uh, because as or the others as they heal from trauma. Mm. So. Forgiveness for me is really giving away the anger, bitterness, and resentment that I'm carrying around. So it's a lot of times people think that forgiveness means to pardon the behavior of the other person or to pardon the behavior of myself or to excuse it away. And that's not what I believe forgiveness is. It doesn't make what happened wrong or right. It just is that I'm giving away the anger and resentment that I'm carrying around about that. So when I, uh, when I look at the attachment wounds, I use the analogy a lot of times that if you got bit by a rattlesnake or a cobra, you, um, you have two choices. You can beat the snake to death because it bit you, or you can try to take care of the, the wound and get the venom out as, poss- as soon as possible, right? If you choose to kill the snake, you're going to die because all of that venom is going to be running through your body very quickly and you're going to die. There is a better chance of your survival if you actually take care of the wounds, right? So it's the same same analogy. I can I can go after the people that I think abused me, hurt me, but truthfully, if I do that that venom is just going to run through my body and it's not going to kill them. It's going to kill me emotionally, spiritually, physically. I'm going to die. But if I start to take care of the wound, it's not about who did it to me. It's about what happens to me and let me take care of the wound. From that perspective, once I'm being able to heal that, I can, I can look at the other person and honestly, I reject myself all the time. So I bite myself all the time. I'm able to look at that and have compassion for me and recognize, whoa, I don't want to carry that bitterness around with me anymore. It still may be that I have boundaries around that person. Like you're not a safe person, but I don't hate you. I don't, I don't despise you. I, I wish you whatever, but I'm going to go on with my life and have joy and love in my life. So there's a, it's a process. Um, and it's hard for some people to wrap their head around that, but that's what I look at forgiveness is it allows me to be more full of love because I've gotten rid of the poison. So, so, uh, so can, can you also say it like this, that, but the process of forgiveness is somehow also interconnected with uh, our thinking, our decision-making uh, process. And maybe uh, it also because when we decide, either we uh, think it from here, or maybe we are thinking from our heart. 
So is it somehow interlinked or like, how do you uh, say this? I mean, how do you? Yeah. So like if even if I ask myself, am I worthy of love and belonging? My, my prefrontal cortex, my forehead will tell me, well, of course you are, but my heart doesn't buy into it. Right. So there's a disconnect, a 12 inches disconnect from my heart and my mind. Um, and my heart's going to win every time. My my brain is not going to do that. So being able to to look at what's going on in my heart, what what is it afraid of to forgive? I'm afraid that if I forgive this person or if I forgive myself, what bad things going to happen? Well, well they're going to they're going to hurt me again. Well, what can I do to protect myself and still still let this go? and begin to ask ourselves questions about that. And our brain and our heart really are creative in coming up with beautiful ways to make that happen. But oftentimes we don't ask the right question. And so we never come to a conclusion about that. Yes, that that's true. And also I can, I can feel that there is also a connection between the self-care. So uh, my next thing, which I wanted to understand is like, how does uh, a self-care play uh, in the same thing, like in cultivating the uh, self-compassion and healing from uh, past trauma? So self-care is like um, a person who wants to grow physically. So they have to go to the gym and they have to eat right. Like, so let's say you want to run a marathon or something. You have to start eating right. You have to start training for that so that you can accomplish the goal of running the marathon, right? So that they do that. Why? Because they want to they wanna finish something. Well, that's what self-care is. Um, it's taking care of my body so that I can show up and do the, be the kind of person I want to be in all the different arenas of my life. So self-care could be I'm going to eat better or self-care could be I'm going to meditate or self-care could be I'm going to, I have a client right now who struggles with depression and it's really hard for him to even brush his teeth. So self-care for him is I'm going to brush my teeth today. I'm going to do something kind for myself. That's going to help me be healthier going to help me connect with me and it can be all kinds of things why do we do that so that we are in a better condition physically emotionally and spiritually to accomplish the goals and dreams that we have for our lives that's great and um so with, with this also like how uh, anyone or maybe someone who is facing this kind of healing journey so how they can prioritize their self-care practices that support their journey uh, put it on the calendar. Okay. <laughs> um, to schedule it. Uh, I'm a really huge procrastinator. So there's two ways that I do it. One is to schedule and one is to like uh, create a, a, a regimen, I guess. So um, usually it, it's become a habit now that I get up, I walk the dogs, and then I go to the gym. And then I come home and I meditate. That's a pattern that I've created over a long period of time. Um, and do I forget sometimes? Yes. But but for the most part, because it's part of a pattern, it's now become a habit. And I just do that, right? So um, 
But oftentimes you think about how we spend our day to day and, and a lot of us are operate by appointments. So I got to go take my kids to school here or I got to go to the doctor here or I got to go to work here. We'll put it on the calendar. If you're if all of those other appointments are so important to you, aren't you important too? So put it on the calendar. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go to the gym. So I'm going to put that on the calendar. I'm going to get a massage. I'm going to put that on the calendar. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to schedule that. I'm going to put it on a to-do list. I'm going to write it down somewhere. That's a way of starting to create the habit that then becomes something we do on a regular basis. Wow. So, so, uh, so like uh, with this also, I'm also curious to understand, like um, we have understood the process, we have understood the, um, uh, if, there, if there is any support system and how uh, people should uh, do it, like you have mentioned about the uh, scheduling things and writing things. So, so with this, um, from your experience, can you, can you help like, any misconceptions or myths about self-compassion that uh, you often uh, come across in your work? Uh, one of the biggest is self, self-love, self-compassion is selfish. Um, and it's not. It's, it, it's not being narcissistic. It's not saying make the world be all around about me. It's actually, I'm going to take care of me so I can show up better for everyone else. So I can show up better for my family, so I can be a better employee, so I can be a better friend. So it's not, I'm going to just focus on me for selfish reasons. It's I'm going to focus on me so that I can, I can accomplish my mission, so I can accomplish my vision of the kind of person that I want to be. And so just like every other thing that we do on the planet like if you want to become a better pianist you got to practice every day if you want to learn how if you want to take better care of your body you got to change the way you eat and you have to change it every day so it's that kind of same kind of thing if you want your kid to become a a uh, an amazing soccer player then they got to go to practice right and it's the same concept I'm going to do things to take care of myself. That's not selfish. That's selfless, self-love, because I'm trying to help create an environment where I can show up better. True. Exactly true. So um, can you also uh, discuss the connection between self-compassion and building the healthy relationships with others? So... Yeah. yeah. So when I begin to, like I said earlier, when I started to love myself, I noticed I became less judgmental. Yeah. I used to be really judgy of other people. And I've noticed that the more that I've practiced being kind to me, the more that I've been able to be kind to others, especially as a dad. Um, when when I, my kids were little, I was not... I was so judgmental of them and I really wanted them to be the way I wanted them to be and not give them the ability to have their own mm. spirit. And now that I've gotten older and they've gotten older, I've recognized just how harsh I was and I've tried to back off and tried to empower them to make their own decisions. And sometimes they make decisions that I am not really okay with. <laughs> But I recognize that I can love them unconditionally without judgment 
and then figure out how I'm going to have a conversation with them about where they're heading in their life without doing it in a mean, judgmental, controlling, power, power-hungry way, but rather to have a conversation. And I'm able to do that because I'm more grounded in my own love and it, and I've been able to recognize I'm not afraid. Like before, I was so afraid of what other people would think about me as a dad and them as a kid. And I was like, I don't really... I, I, that isn't as much as of an impact as it is that I love my my child and I want my child to be successful in the world. So what can I do to love them enough to help them figure that out? Sure. So, so I believe like uh, self-compassion also impact our uh, uh, empathy empathy towards others, right? So Right. Um, if you... So the only people on the planet who do not have the capacity for empathy are sociopaths. And what that means is that they do not have the ability to, to really care about how their choices affect other people. So most people are not sociopaths, by the way, than Gavin's. Um, and so all of that means that all of us have the capacity to have empathy, to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. But it is a skill. It's not something that inherently comes to us. It's something we have to learn how to do. Part of that is recognizing how we feel in our own body and being okay with that. And then trying to see if we can connect with how they feel. So when we have empathy, when I'm able to put myself in your shoes for just a moment, it helps me have greater compassion for you. And it helps me be able to be kinder to you. And it helps me know how to better show up for you and vice versa. And connection really is how we heal attachment wounds. When we are together and we feel loved and supported by ourselves and each other, that's when the wounds start to heal. So it's absolutely imperative to learn how to have empathy. Wow. So, so uh, also, I'm just um, uh, getting so much of curious, like uh, a lot of things I'm uh, getting to learn. But um, also, if uh, a bit of examples, if we get like, any any specific stories you have uh, from your um, work that um, illustrate the transformative power of self-compassion um, in healing from trauma or maybe finding the inner peace? The one that comes to mind, uh, like I said, I, uh, well, I didn't say, I was adopted at birth, um, so I, don't, I didn't know my birth parents. Okay. And the parents who raised me they they did their best, but my dad had uh, a lot of anger problems. He was very abusive, and my mom was also very angry as well. And so later on, I actually found my birth parents, and they all lived, my birth father, my birth mother, my father, and my mother, who had um, been divorced, um, all lived within 15 minutes of each other. So whenever we'd ever go back home to visit them, they all wanted me to spend time with them. And so it was chaos because I'd be running over here and I'd be running over there. Well, my dad, the one who raised me, he called me out because he felt like I was spending more time with all these other people and not with him. And he got mad at me about it. And I was on the phone with him and he called me out and he was, he was saying some really hurtful things. And then he hung up on me and I was so mad. 
so mad, all the anger, all the rage that have really kind of been sitting with me and him for for years. I was 38 at the time, had just been there for so long. I decided I was going to drive to his house and I was going to tell him what a crappy dad he was. And here's all the problems that you've caused for me in my life. And here's how you've ruined everything about me. And here's what you've done to hurt my mom. And here's how you've ruined the relationships about family. And I was, I was so livid. I was probably not driving very safely. And I'm, I'm speeding down the freeway as I'm getting ready to go to his house. And, and I walk into his house and I go to his room and I have my hand up and I am about ready to just like lay into him. And then I saw him. Here's this 60 something year old man. He weighs 450 pounds. He's, he's got an amputated leg because of diabetes. He is on oxygen and in that moment, I saw his pain. In that moment, I saw his wounds. He was raised in a home where there was a lot of abuse as well. And I saw, I saw his suffering and put my hand down. And I said, Dad, I love you. And in that moment, all that anger, all that resentment, all of that stuff that I had been carrying around for years and years just left. And he and I had probably the best conversation we ever had in our whole life. And we were able to connect in ways that we had never done before. And and luckily that happened. That was about a year before he passed away. But to me, that's an example of, of being able to have compassion for him and for me. And in that moment, the, the poison left and all we had left was love. it's the love only that uh, made both of you connect together and um, yes it's it's, it's a very good moment I can feel like yes but uh, sorry for your loss and um, so so with this like finally uh, what advice uh, of wisdom uh, would you like to share with our listeners uh, who are on their own journey of embracing the self-compassion and uh, healing from uh, past trauma? I guess I would give the advice that I learned when I was 19. If you really want to be more loving, creative, strong, um, better as a mom, a dad, a child, student, all those things, if you really want to be better at that, learn how to love yourself. Wow. That's a, that's a good quote, I would say, like, love yourself first and everything going to change. So that, that's that, that's great, I would say. So thank you. Thank you, Troy, uh, for joining us today and sharing your uh, profound insights on embracing the self-compassion and uh, healing from the past trauma and about cultivating the inner peace. So... Mm-hmm. I, I believe like your expertise and compassionate approach have provided our listeners with valuable tools and perspectives for their own healing journeys. So as we wrap up this uh, episode, uh, we encourage our listeners to reflect on the power of self-compassion into their own lives. So always remember that healing from past trauma takes time Uh, patience and self-love definitely so embrace the journey and know 
that you are deserving of healing and inner peace. So we hope that the conversation with Troy has inspired you to explore self-compassion more deeply and incorporate in your daily life. So always remember to be gentle to, with yourself, practice self-care and seek support whenever needed. So if you found this episode insightful, we always invite you to subscribe to our podcast and explore our episodes where we dive into various topics related to personal growth, well-being and finding balance in life. So we appreciate you joining us today and being a part of our healthy mind and healthy life community uh, to Troy. So self-compassion is a transformative practice that can lead to profound healing and a more peaceful existence. Until next time, keep prioritizing your well-being, embracing the self-compassion and nurturing the journey towards a healthier mind and a more fulfilling life. So thank you for listening to the Healthy Mind and Healthy Life podcast. Take care and be well. And thank you, Troy, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.